Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you and to greet you and to have this opportunity to open God's Word with you uh, this morning. If we're yet to meet, my name is Lawrence and I am part of the leadership here at Christchurch Baptist Church. And we gather in this way to continue on in our series about grace, grace, the uh, essential gift for imperfect disciples. And we're doing a bit of a deep dive into the book of Galatians, particularly chapters 5 and 6. Um, and uh, we're in the middle of that just now. Well, we've been introduced to this church in Galatia, haven't we, over the past few weeks? And we've also learned about Paul, the apostle, who had this... Um, Oh, you'll know the story about Paul. But, you know, Paul had this dramatic Damascus Road encounter with the Lord. He was a, a persecutor of Christians, and yet he had this radical experience of grace for himself. And he therefore had this total transformation, becoming motivated and mobilized to become an evangelistic missionary apostle who would spring up churches and teach and disciple people throughout the ancient Roman world. Well, one of the things that the Apostle Paul would do is that after he had visited a church, he would continue to instruct that church and continue to teach that church. And we know that he did that because his letters to them make up a lot of our New Testament. And uh, he wanted to stay engaged with these people. And he did with, uh, in, with the church in Galatia. He, he really wanted to tackle a serious problem there. You see, Paul had visited them and taught them that repentance and faith was all that was needed in order to receive God's forgiveness and new life in Jesus. But shortly after Paul had been there, as we learned last week, some Jewish Christian teachers had arrived, these Judaizers, and uh, they insisted that the Jewish law still needed to be observed and to be fulfilled. And Chris taught us, didn't he, about some small details in that regard. What is really interesting to me, though, um, and I don't know if it's got anything to do with today's talk, but there's this beautiful moment in chapter 4. I don't know if you've seen it. It's in verse 20, where Paul expresses his heart for this church. And he says, How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because, and you can hear a sigh, I'm perplexed about you. You can hear the pastor's heart of Paul, can't you? He's been giving them some strong home truths, but his pastor's heart is creeping in. And I think it speaks to Paul's character and his desire to continue to disciple these people. And it got me thinking this week, and I want to tell you, dear friends, and encourage you, that when we get involved in the business of discipling others, it's not a hit-and-run ministry. You can read it in these verses. You can hear it in Paul's heart, in his approach to this church. It's a relational commitment to go the distance. So let me encourage you that as we wrestle with what it means for us to receive this gift of grace, we do so also recognizing that we have a responsibility to help others to wrestle with what this gift of grace means for them so that they can receive it in all of its fullness. Relational ministry, holding people in our heart is deep, a deep commitment to the ministry of discipleship. So when we look at this verse, verse 20, it stands in contrast to what has gone before. There's been this shift from rebuke to gentleness. And as we look a little bit uh, at the verses we've been given, and as also Andy reminded us last week, in fact, it's about love. And we're going to discover a little bit more about that. But Andy reminded us last week, do you remember? 
he looked at chapter 5, verse 14, and he said that the law can be summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And this got me thinking of another verse that's tucked away in one of Paul's letters, his letter to the church in Thessalonica. He, he wrote in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he read this. Read this? Wrote this. That's the right phrase. He wrote this. I'm reading it. Um, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. The ministry of discipleship is a big investment. It's not hit and run. And we had a lovely moment last week, didn't we, where two people were welcomed into membership as part of our church family. And an image was painted of taking a journey together, walking alongside one another, mutually sharing our lives uh, for this period of time on our, on our faith walk, really. And for me, it's, it's the, an image of this sort of love that Paul has for this church, Love that goes the distance. And I'm left with the question, why does Paul want to do this? Why does he want to love in this way and, and, and stay invested? And it's for this reason. He knows how significant the gift of grace was for him. And he knows how significant that gift of grace is for everybody else. So Paul, well, he's looking after this church. He's, he's staying involved. And he wants to make sure that they remain rooted in the truth that salvation, new life in Jesus, is God's gift to all who believe. We've heard in previous weeks as well that this gospel message means that Christians need to accept that they are a freed and free people. And we've sung about that this morning in some of our songs. We don't need to be tied up and chained up by the things that, that well, that tie us up. Um, we don't need to live like that. And we've heard and we will continue to hear that our freedom comes with a sense of responsibility to be a Christ-like, a Christ-centered community, one that goes the distance and loves extravagantly its neighbor. But there's a question we need to unpack uh, this week, and uh, we're going to do it this morning. And the question is this, if we're not led by the law, then what are we led by? And Paul's teaching in that verse 14, he sums up the law with one verse, um, and I'm not having a go at Paul, but Jesus sums it up with two. So let's look at Jesus. He says in Matthew 22, he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The law, in these words, is about love. And Jesus has taken something profoundly complicated, hasn't he? And he's made it accessible. And yet, for the church uh, where Paul is writing to, we've had some Judaizers, these Jewish Christian teachers come in wanting the best of both worlds. They, they said, to, you know, if you want to be a Christian, this is how you've got to do it. These are the rules you've got to follow, the, the rules we've created around the original law, the Torah, so that no one could ever get it wrong. It feels heavy, doesn't it? It feels burdensome, and it stands in contrast of Jesus' simple teaching to love God and to love others. Can you imagine how stressed and frantic that type of living must have been? Always striving to get it right, to not put a toe out of line, to remember all the rules and regulations, playing them over and over and over again in your head as not to forget them. Can you imagine how stressed and frantic that must be? 
And yet Jesus spoke into that, didn't he? He taught us long before this conversation took place. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my teaching upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my teaching is easy, and my burden is light. It's a totally different story, isn't it? And I wonder if we need to be reminded of that this morning. Well, let's go back to Paul. He presents us with a summary of the law in Galatians uh, 5 verse 14. And I guess if we're honest, there's probably a bit of work to do there uh, for each of us. Um, because it, it says to us, we can't love our neighbors if we don't love ourselves. We can't, uh, you know, if we don't accept in the fullest sense what Christ has done for us, how then can we not celebrate it in the lives of others? Now, if we cannot accept what Christ has done for us, how can we celebrate what he's doing in the lives of others? And Andy helpfully pointed us last week to the parable of the lost son. Do you remember? Which reminds us that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, it prevents us from that older brother syndrome. So make sure that you have a look at that and and have a think. But our question is, if it's not the law that guides us, then what does? What's the alternative? So let's look at our verses together for today, shall we? Uh, Chapter 5, three verses, verses 16 to 18. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The answer for Christians is simple. The solution is that we are called to be led by the Spirit. We are called to a life in the Spirit. In the verses preceding this, we learn that our freedom was not received that we might be able to indulge in our sinful nature. Our freedom was to enable us to be effective in service to one another. And in these verses, you can hear there's, there's some more to that, isn't there? There's a struggle. There's a wrestle with this. There's almost like a war between the spirit and the sinful nature or the flesh. On one hand, we've got life in the spirit, which is empowered freedom. And on the other hand, we've got life in the sinful nature, which is a fleshy imprisonment. And next week, we're going to look at some verses which are going to spell out the fruit of these two opposing ways to live our lives, the sorts of behaviors that we might see or expect to see from lives lived in these opposing ways. But that will be for next week. For now, what we need to know is that Paul is saying that when a person lives in God's spirit, they escape the power of flesh and of the sinful nature and therefore the power of law. They are no longer under law because they are made alive by the spirit of God living under grace. Also for Paul, life in the Spirit is about a life lived in accordance with God's will. And uh, for those who are engaged in living life by the Spirit, they recognize that life in the flesh and life in the Spirit are opposites. And when you live in accordance to the sinful nature, you know that you are not living in the way that God's Spirit wants you to live. You're not living life in the Spirit. Is that not what our experience is? We know that, don't we? And there's a sense that when we don't keep up with the Spirit of God, we find our life and our Christian experience somewhat diminished. 
Ephesians 4 reminds us that the Holy Spirit has, um, oh, he's a person, he has a personality. <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And Galatians 5, just at the end of it, and we'll probably look at that next week, we, we encourage that the Holy Spirit moves. He does what he wants. We need to keep up with him, keep in step with him. And we know uh, there's movement. The Holy Spirit moves. And if we can grieve him, if he moves, if we have to keep up with him, we know that he's taking action. And action, we know, always requires a response, doesn't it? So here's a question for this morning. When the Spirit of God moves, what is your default response? When the Spirit of God moves, what is your response? Life in the Spirit, the Christian life, is not about nominally following rules and regulations. It's about passionately pursuing a relationship. And a relationship is one that needs to be treasured and nurtured because when you treasure a relationship, you want to live in a way that is pleasing to the one with whom you have that relationship. And this is what Jesus said in John 14, verse 15. He said this, If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, if you want to pursue a relationship with me, Keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is not God far in the sky, far away and distant. This is God, Holy Spirit, up close and personal, living with you, living in you. And we live differently, don't we? Not in accordance with our sinful nature or or our fleshy desires. We live differently because Jesus invites us to. If you love me, uh, keep my commands. If you love me, if you want to pursue a relationship with me, live differently. Love your neighbor as yourself. A radical love because you've experienced a radical grace. And so we are compelled Because Jesus loves us. Uh, He loves you. He loves me. He's accepted us this morning. We need to hear that. We are an accepted people. And so we live differently and we want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So we know then that hollow hoop jumping will not enable us to live successfully as a Christian. The only thing that will enable us to live successfully as a Christian under grace is a relationship with the one who gave you that gift in the first place. For the Apostle Paul, life in the Spirit is about the life of a person who is surrendered. A life of letting the Holy Spirit have complete control. And that sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? Allowing the Holy Spirit to have complete control. And I wonder this morning, what might that look like for you? What might that look like for me? What might it look like for us as a church community to allow the Holy Spirit to have complete control? And my mind also makes me think, what might that cost us? Let me share something personal with you, because as I've been looking at this text, you know, three verses to prepare a preach on, I've found it incredibly hard, and predominantly because I've come to the conclusion that We don't so much read Scripture as Scripture somehow seems to read us. And I've been challenged to think about my own experience in this regard. 
And I didn't have to dig too deep to find and uncover something for myself which I'm unsatisfied with in my relationship with God. Because I think in my own experience, I've noticed times over the years where I have been more surrendered to the Spirit of God than at other times. I've been more surrendered to to God's leading, um, his direction than I have um, at other times in my life. And I wonder if you can identify with that. I feel this tension between God's sense of control of my life and my sense of control over my life. And the thing is, is that I've got lots of stories from when I've pressed into my relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, and I've seen God do incredible things over the years. I've got stories about that. And yet, I find myself sometimes living a little bit further uh, behind and not keeping in step. And as I think about that tension between those two places, that nature of my relationship with God, when I think about being in step with him and keeping up with him and falling somewhat behind, the difference between the two is that I feel a sense of loss, a sense of unfulfillment, and a sense of grief. It hurts on some level. And this is because I know that life by the Spirit is better. And I know that you know that to be true as well. Well, the psalmist knew this as they wrote in Psalm 63. See if you can hear this being played out in these words. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. It sounds like he's over here, doesn't it? Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. But I've seen you in the sanctuary. I know what that's like. I've beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, My lips will glorify you, and I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands, and I'll be fully satisfied. The psalmist knew what this was like. But we know, don't we, that surrender is hard. To be a surrendered person is hard. But if our posture is correct, it might just be a little bit easier. If we earnestly seek, if we thirst after, if we long for, if we praise and if we find that we can be satisfied in God. And because we know that life in the Spirit, life led by the Spirit, is one of surrender, we know that it is a life of humility, of dependence, of laying down of our agendas, our wants and our desires. It's about a consistent surrender day by day, moment by moment to God, not to rules and regulations, but to a relationship. And as God speaks, our hearts of surrender means that we're able to follow his spirit's leading. And we can be confident because, remember, God won't contradict his word. We have a safeguard in scripture. It shows us what a free life of surrender looks like. So we can have confidence in that. Now, I don't know when you try to think about a story or, or people who demonstrate a life of surrender. I don't know who comes to mind for you, but for me, I'm always taken back to the story of Moses because his life was so significant in the story of God's people, so impactful. Um, and I, I personally find him fascinating. But you know, for Moses, it started with an act of humility and surrender. He found himself in the presence of God and he took his sandals off. And as he stood there, he was conscious that he was standing in a holy place. And throughout Exodus, we see an extraordinary relationship between God and Moses because of his starting point, because it was a place of surrender. 
And in Exodus 33, there's this beautiful moment of deep relationship between Moses and the Lord. And it says this uh, at verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence, my spirit will go with you and I will give you rest. We've heard that today, haven't we? From the, the words of Jesus, the Lord is in the business of giving people rest. But here The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, my spirit will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses, knowing the level of dependency and surrender he has to the Lord, he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us off from here, because how will anyone know? Don't send us. Moses speaks with a real sense of dependency and surrender on the presence of God, on the spirit of God. And as we kind of come to a time of worship in a moment, I guess the question I want to leave you with is, what would it be like if we prayed that prayer? Lord, if your spirit doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. What would it be like for us to foster that level of dependency upon the Lord? This uh, level of intimacy, this closeness, this pursuit of deep relationship is not reserved for special cases like Moses. We've learned from our text today that there's an invitation for us to choose how we want to live our life. So the encouragement is this. Let's be people who choose. Let's be a church that chooses to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's be a people who find their lives in the Spirit. And let's keep up. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. That's our prayer this morning. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we come to you this morning and we are mindful of the great gift of grace that you've offered to each one of us. But we're also mindful that you're the extravagant gift giver and we're grateful too for the gift of your Holy Spirit this morning. And Father, we want to press into relationship with the Holy Spirit, with you, Lord. We want to find our life and our place and our purpose by keeping up with what it is that you're doing. And so, Father, as we come to a time of worship, we have a real sense of your presence with us. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us? Would we encounter you afresh today as we choose to be led by you? to have our lives found in you and to try and keep up with what it is that you're doing. We bless you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Lawrence. As you were speaking, I just made some notes and... uh, struck me that uh, you question about when the Spirit of God moves, what's our default response, that, uh, that sometimes we do different things, don't we? Sometimes God's Spirit moves forward and we get left behind. And yet there are other times where we're sort of so busy moving forward and God says, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Um, we go that way. He wants us to go that way. It's just a case sometimes of us listening just taking time to listen to God. So I'm going to suggest that we do that just now. I'm going to sing Spirit of a Living God. 
Uh, and as we sing that, let's just remain seated. We'll sing it through two or three times. And, and if, if God is speaking to you, just let him speak into your life. Just listen to what he's saying to you. And uh, get into step with the Spirit. Let's sing.